Uh, If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll begin right in the beginning. As we stand here at the end of 2018 and as we peer into this next year, I wonder what is the one thing that could make the greatest difference in our lives. I wonder what is the one commitment that we could make that would make the greatest difference in all the other commitments. I wonder what the one change we could make that would be the key to every other change that we want to make. What should we focus on? in 2019, and I want to suggest to you that the Bible says clearly the one thing that makes a difference is a commitment to greater faithfulness in reading and studying and meditating on God's Word. And I want us, every one of us, as a church and as a community, I want us to have that greater commitment. Uh, to being faithful to study and read God's Word. I want to just begin by sharing with you the testimony of a couple of people uh, who were faithful to read God's Word and how valuable God's Word uh, became to each of them. Uh, The first one is David, King David, uh, a politician, a a leader, a businessman, a, a worship leader, a man after God's own heart, a warrior. And here's what he said in Psalm 19. And we'll get to Psalm 1 in just a moment, but listen to this. He said, the instructions of the Lord are perfect because they revive the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy because they make wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right and they bring joy to my heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear and they give me insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure and it lasts forever. The laws of the Lord are true and each one is fair. They are more desirable to me than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. And they are a warning to me, your servant, and a great reward for all those who obey them. Now that's a great testimony, right? That's a great endorsement of the Word of God. And so we hear that from David. If we were to go to the New Testament, we can hear a similar endorsement from the Apostle Paul. Now the, the Apostle Paul was an academic, he was a, he was a scholar, he was a businessman, he was a church planner, he was a religious leader, and he too was vested in God's Word. And here's what he said, 2 Timothy 3, 16, he says, all Scripture I've discovered is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God is using it to prepare and equip his people for every good work. What an endorsement of God's word. But how can that be true? How can God's word be so valuable to us? How can it make such a difference in our lives? Well, that's the question. Those are the questions that I want to answer this morning from Psalm 1. We're just going to look at three verses. This is going to be a very simple message. I know there's no outline in your worship bulletin, so you just have to keep up the best you can. But I want to convince you uh, by the end of this message that God's Word is worth you investing your time and energy and being faithful to reading and meditating uh, every day on God's Word. So let's look, Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. We'll just read the first three verses to begin with and then go back and look at it word or two at a time. He says, how happy is the one 
who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. And he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Now let's look at those verses. Verse 1 uh, begins with the word happy. Uh, your Bible might say blessed. It's a very difficult word to translate uh, because th there's really no one English word that, that tells us all of what that means. It's the same word, sort of, kind of, that, uh, that Jesus used in the Beatitudes when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek. And so you take the Hebrew word here in Psalms, translated blessed, and you see how it was translated into the Greek Septuagint, and then that's the word that Jesus used. And so what, is, what does this word mean? Your Bible may say happy, it may say blessed. Uh, whole books have been written on how to define this word. It just, it, 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 the meaning is so broad. It is so, um, it, it's such a weighty word that it's hard to describe in just a sentence. Uh, but I think the best explanation that I've read is that it, it refers to a life that you would be congratulated to live. And so you think about all the things that might cause somebody to come up to you and say, congratulations on your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's business success, or maybe it's family, or maybe it's uh, influence in the ministry, a thousand different things. But he says that you will live a congratulated life, a blessed life, a happy life, if the things are true of you, or not true of you that we read in the first three verses here. And so happy is the one. That's the theme of this whole passage. How to be happy, how to be blessed, how to live a congratulated life. Now he says the first thing we must do to have that kind of life is to not do something. Look at verse 1. Happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, stand in the pathway of sinners, and sit in the company of mockers. What he's saying is that if we have where we have exposure to the world through entertainment, uh, through just worldly conversations with people, uh, through all of the uh, different avenues of life, when we have exposure to the world and the sins of the world, that makes an impact in our lives. It leaves a mark in our lives. And we have to be careful with that exposure because when we stand in the pathway of mockers and we sit in the seat of sinners, when we do that, when that exposure is high, it will impact how we think and it will rob us of the happiness or the blessedness that God wants us to, to experience. The world changes how we think about things, how we prioritize things, how we value things, how you value people, how you value opportunities. Uh, when we're exposed to the world, it always impacts us. You know, I think in many ways, what we believe to be true, what you are convinced is true, is often determined not by the facts of the situation, but just by what we have been exposed to. Does that make sense? Sometimes we have opinions firmly held beliefs that are not properly informed. It's just we've been exposed to just part of the information, and so we, we, we believe a certain thing. Yesterday, my, my family and I were sitting around at the dinner table, and we started talking about universities. And I, I think there was a college playing foot, football on television in the background, and that's what got the conversation started. 
And so my oldest daughter, who went, who goes to the University of South Carolina, uh, started talking about her view of uh, Clemson. And I know we've got some Clemson graduates in the uh, in the church, but uh, she has a distinct view of people who go to Clemson. And so she shared some of those. And then so then my wife chimed in. My wife went to Mississippi State, and she has very similar views of people who went to uh, Ole Miss. And then I went to Auburn. I have some very similar views of people who went to Alabama. My views happen to be right. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about, we were sort of dishing these, uh, these people who, are, uh, who, who go or who are associated with the, um, you know, the opposing uh, university. Now, let's just be honest about our views. Why do we think what we think about the people who go to the other school? Well, not because we know really anything about the other schools. We, we don't know. She didn't know anything about Clemson. I don't know anything about University of Alabama or Ole Miss. We, we, it's not based on facts. It's just based on what we've been exposed to. And so we come to certain conclusions simply based on what we've been exposed to. If we had more information, we might have a different opinion. Does that make sense? Several years ago, I had led a young man to Christ. He was in his mid-20s or so. And he was from a real rough background. I don't even remember how we connected with one another, but he came to know the Lord and then he shared the Lord with his wife and she came to know the Lord and they were really excited about their new faith and they were faithful to church. It was so exciting to see just how God was completely changing their lives. But they asked to come see me one day and they said, Pastor, we've, we've got something that we would like you to help us with. And so we set up an appointment, and they came by, and when they walked in, they had a whole binder of information. I see, you know, rubber bands around all these file folders. I thought, oh, wow, what is, what is this going to be? And so they sat down, and they said, Pastor, you know, we're all excited about our faith, and we wondered now if you could help us, you know, use our faith and use our new influence to, uh, to uh, uh, attack this injustice that's going on here in America. And I said, well, what kind of injustice? And and so they began to tell me about how the government is chemically seeding the clouds uh, by flying airplanes across the country in order to control the minds of the population. Now, if you believe that, please don't come see me, okay? I've, uh, I don't want to have any more meetings about it. Uh, I, I learned way more in that meeting than I ever wanted to know. But there's a whole group of people in America... And I'm sure there are a few here in Nacogdoches that will be watching on television that will send me a letter next week uh, that, that believe that the government is, is you know, using the contrails of the airplanes and, and is seeding chemically uh, and changing, uh, controlling the minds of people in America. And so they had all this information and they wanted us, you know, our church to get behind this campaign to stop this chemical cloud seeding. And so... Uh, you know, I, I walked with them through it, and, and it wasn't easy to dissuade them from this. They were convinced, and they had just stacks and stacks of proof, what they thought was proof. But, you know, it, it didn't take much. I connected them with a pilot in our church who was a commercial airline pilot, and they talked to him, and he shared some information. And, and these people who had for years been such advocates for this, had believed it so strongly. This was the most important thing in their lives for years. They got just a little bit more information and they recognized it was just nuts, that it was just crazy. Now, why did they think the wrong thing? It wasn't because they were not smart people. They were very smart people. They had just been exposed 
to one side. They had just been exposed to these lies and had not been exposed to the truth. And when they got exposed to the truth, it changed everything for them. So what is he saying here in Psalm 1-1? He says if, if we are exposed to the sins and the philosophies of the world, that that will confuse us and it will rob us of the lives that God wants us to live. We need to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to just hear the lies of the world and not know the truth of God's word because all of us will think the wrong things. We'll be convinced of things that just aren't true. We will wrongly value people and other things because we don't have the truth. So the first thing we see is how we need to be careful about the influence of the world in our lives. Now, let's continue on. Verse 2. He begins with the word instead. Now, that's a strong word in the original. It says that while it's true that if you, if you listen to the wisdom of the world, it's going to mess you up. And those people are robbed of this joy and this happiness. There are different people. There, there's a different way. Instead, there's a different path that you can go down. So he said, instead, his delight, the happy man's delight, is the Lord's instruction. Let's talk about delight for a moment or two. Uh, the Bible says that we are to delight in the word. Not, not, just, to, not just to read it and, uh, and, and to endure it. Uh, th this isn't like taking a tablespoon of Metamucil in the morning, uh, you know, where you just have to just have to take it. I don't even know what you take that for, but uh, but I, but I see the commercials. But but that would be something you just endure. No, we shouldn't just endure reading the Bible every day. Like, oh no, here it goes. I better get it marked off my list, or God's going to be mad at me. No, we should delight in God's word. Well, what if you don't delight? What if you don't delight in God's word? Let's just be honest for a moment. Sometimes we don't delight in it. Well, I think there are two things that will make you have greater delight in God's Word. Number one is knowing the author better. The more you know the author, the more you know of God's love for, for you and how much God cares for you, the more you're going to be interested, the more you're going to delight in God's Word. Uh, so I have... I have a lot of letters in my office that I have kept that people have written to me over the years. And every once in a while, uh, I'll go back and I'll pull those up and I'll, I'll read those letters. And I enjoy reading them. Now, you would have no interest in reading them at all, right? Because they're from people you don't know and they're about stuff you don't know anything about. It would just be terrible. You wouldn't enjoy reading at all. Why do I enjoy it and you don't? Well, because I know those authors of those letters, and I know that they wrote those letters to me because they love and care for me. And so those letters are a great encouragement to me, even though you wouldn't have any interest in them at all. Now, it's the same thing with God's Word. As long as I just think this is a history book, I'm going to have very little interest in it. And I like history. I like to read history books. But but, but, but you're not going to delight in the God's Word as long as it's just a history book to you. But when you recognize that you know the author, and this is written to you for your benefit, for your encouragement, then your delight in God's Word will increase. I think the second thing that has to happen for us to delight in God's Word, I think we have to cultivate this delight. There are some things that you just that you just aren't going to delight in until you know more about it. Uh, I remember 
Uh, my, my daughters, before we moved to Texas, they played high school. My two older daughters played high school tennis. And I, I never enjoyed watching tennis on television. It just seemed like the most boring thing in the world. They just hit the ball from here to here to here to here to here, and they just back and forth. And it seemed like there was no strategy other than when the ball comes, swing. Uh, so it, it just seemed like the most boring thing. I couldn't believe that they actually put this stuff on television, that thousands of people pay real money to go watch tennis matches. Why in the world would somebody do that? Well, but my girls began to play tennis, and I learned a few things about it. And I learned a little bit about the strategy, and I learned a little bit about the different strokes and, and how one stroke is setting up another stroke. And sometimes one stroke is setting up what you're going to do three or four volleys down, the, uh, you know, down, down through the game and, and all these different things. Now, and I'm, I'm certainly not an expert at tennis at all, but I know a little bit more, and now I actually enjoy watching tennis. Now, why do I delight in it now, but I didn't 10 years ago? It's because I know more of what's going on. And the more, this is interesting, the more you read and study the Bible, the more you understand how uh, many of the Psalms are pointing to things in the New Testament, and many of the th new things in the New Testament are fulfillments of some of the promises in the Old Testament. And, and when you see how the Apostle Paul's writings work with the, with the Apostle Peter's writings, and you, and you see the differences in the Gospels and how one emphasizes one thing for the glory of God and something else, another Gospel emphasizes something else for the glory of God. When you begin to understand those things, then you will have greater delight in God's Word. So some of this is just a matter of cultivating uh, you, you've you've got you to get into God's Word, and you will be more and more delighted by it the more uh, you know, the more you know. So he says, we're, we're here in verse 2, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. Now, let's look at the word meditate. This isn't an Eastern meditation. You, you know, the, you, you hear stories about how in some religions uh, they have meditation and it consists of trying to empty your mind of everything, to think about nothing. And the idea is that if you could think about nothing, then that gives room for you to experience some mystical uh, in, encounter with the whatever. But that's not what Christian or biblical meditation is. It's never thinking about nothing. It's always thinking about something. L look here in verse 2. Uh, instead, his delight is in the law's instructions, and he meditates on it. What does he meditate on? What does he focus on? He focuses on God's Word. So this Christian meditation is an intense focus on the Word of God. Now, you have to be careful with this, because even in Christian circles now, some of this Eastern meditation is working its way in. And uh, you, you read books, or I read books that talk about how you can empty your mind and you can experience God. And, and none of that is scriptural. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say uh, that you just need to close your eyes and try to imagine what would God say about something. Well, no, the Bible never says to close your eyes and imagine what God would say. No, focus on God's word and see what God would say. And so this meditation is not some Eastern mystical thing. It is a focus, a greater focus on God's Word. Now, the word meditation means to mumble aloud. And this is what it's talking about. When we read the Scripture, we don't just need to read it like it's the newspaper. We need to read it and mumble over it. We need to think about it. We need to slow down 
we need to be focused on what it says. So let me just look at verse 2 again and say out loud what it might sound like for you to meditate on verse 2. So you're looking at that verse with me? It says, and if I were meditating on this, this is what I would be saying to myself. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. So instead, that reminds me that, that there's something, there's a different path. So there's one path in verse 1. Now I see there's a different path in verse 2. Instead, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. So there's delight that comes, but the delight is focused on God's word. And he meditates on it. He doesn't just read it. He meditates on it. Uh, wh what about my life? Am I reading God's word or am I meditating? I wonder what the difference would be between reading and meditating. And it says, I need to do it day and night. Now, how in my life could I be focused on God's word during the day and night? You see how you slow down and you read it and you ask questions about it. We need to be consistent when we read it. We need to do it every day. We need to read it slowly. We need to ask the questions as we go through. He says we need to meditate on God's word. And then he says to do it day and night. Uh, that, that means that, that this needs to be something that's consistent in our lives. We need to do it regularly. We need to be saturated in God's word. Uh, start somewhere. You, you say, well, I, I can't do it day and night. I hardly do it once a week. Well, that's why we're doing this campaign. Start somewhere. Let's do it once a day. If you're already doing it once a day, then let's do it twice a day. Maybe you're already doing your own Bible reading plan. Great. Let's just add this to it. Do one in the morning and one at night. Let's do more. Let's stretch. Let's be saturated in God's word. And then we come to verse 3. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now here's the great news. This is the result of being saturated in God's Word. You want to know why to read God's Word? Verse 3 tells us here's exactly why you should read and meditate on God's Word. So let me go through this verse and just notice, I think I've got four things, well maybe a few more. I've got several things that will happen if you meditate on God's Word that all are, are referenced here in verse 3. Number one, why read God's Word it will give you strength in the storm. It will give you strength in the storm. Now picture this strong, healthy tree that is healthy because it's grown for a long time by, by streams of water. And it, is, it has grown and, it's, and the strength has increased. And now when the storm comes and all of the other plants are, are pushed over by the storm, this one strong tree stands. That's what it's talking about when it says he is like a tree planted by flowing streams of water. If you want to be strong, if you want to be able to stand when storms come in your life, you need to be invested in God's Word. And see, it's one of those things that takes time. You can't grow a tree overnight. Right? You, you can't plant a tree and then at the end of the week you've got a big tall tree. No, a tree is tall and strong because it has been growing over a number of years. You and I need to be faithful to God's word because you may have a storm a year from now or 10 years from now and you need to be strong when the storm comes and the only way to be strong is to be that tree that's planted by streams of water. And that requires that we are faithful today in God's word. 
My faithfulness to God's word today is preparing me for the storms that I won't face for 5, 10, or 20 years. And your faithfulness today is preparing you for the same storms. All of us are going to face some storms. And God's word makes us that strong tree. I am um, uh, Jim and, and Karen Nix, and I don't know if they're here in our worship service this morning, but many of you know them, faithful members of our church. They had a medical uh, crisis. Jim had a medical crisis um, I don't know, six months or a year ago, um, maybe, maybe a year ago. And I remember going to see them in the hospital before the surgery uh, was to take place. And there were a lot of question marks. There was a lot of uncertainty. I'm looking for you as I'm talking, but I can't think and scan at the same time. But uh, they, uh, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, with what this was going to turn out to be. And so I got to the hospital, and they were sitting, just the two of them, in the waiting room for the surgery, waiting for the surgery to begin. And they were reading their Bible. And I was very impressed and didn't really know Jim and Karen very well at the time. Uh, but I was very impressed that they were reading their Bible. And so we, uh, we started a conversation about that. And then uh, Karen shared something with me that I don't think I will ever forget. And somebody had shared it with her some weeks before. And, and, and God had just sort of pinned it to her heart. And then God used her to pin it to my heart. My heart. Um, she said that somebody had told her, that when crises come in life, uh, she said it better than I, I can say it, but she says, when crises come, let those crises find you already on your knees. And she said, Pastor, uh, this crisis, uh, it has found us already on our knees. And she just had a strength that few people have in a terrible time like that or in a, in a, in a uh, in, in a very, in, in a time when, when things could have gone in, in, in very different directions. Uh, but let those crises find you already on your knees. You know, one of the reasons why we read God's word is so when the crisis comes, it'll find us already on our knees before the Lord. So we can be a strong tree. There's strength. We will have strength in storms. Another thing that'll happen, another reason to read God's word is so that we'll be fruitful. Now you see that right here in verse 3, so that it bears fruit in its season. Now fruit is for others. When a tree bears fruit, it doesn't bear fruit for itself. It bears fruit to be a blessing to others. When we read our Bibles, it makes us fruitful in the lives of other people. You see, not only does it make us strong so that we can face a crisis, but it gives us wisdom and influence in the lives of others so that we can help them face a crisis. You know, if you don't want to read the Bible for yourself, read it for your spouse because your fruit will fall in your spouse's life. Your fruit will sweeten your wife's life, your husband's life. Your fruit will, will sustain your spouse through difficult times. Read the Bible for your kids so that you will be a fruit-bearing dad, so you will be a fruit-bearing, spiritual fruit-bearing mom. Read the Bible for your grandkids. Read the Bible for your friends. Read the Bible for your coworkers. You see, when I, when I am faithful to God's Word, not only does it make me strong in the time of storms, but it makes me fruitful, have fruitful influence in the lives of the people around me. The third thing it'll do is it'll make you stable. And we see that here in this image of a tree. He is like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither. 
You know, oftentimes people are, just find themselves on a spiritual roller coaster where there are these highs and these lows and highs and lows. Sometimes, uh, even in my, my year and a half, two years here, uh, I, I've, I've noticed people who are in church and out of church, and I'll ask them, I'll run into them in town, say, you know, we, we miss you, we had not seen you in a while, and say, well, I'm just sort of at a spiritual low point. Give me a few months, and I'll be back. Well, we, we shouldn't have these spiritual highs and lows. And the, and the way to not wither not have lows, not have these dry times in our spiritual lives is to be invested in God's Word. That's why he says, if you invest in God's Word, verse 3, uh, you'll be the strong tree, bears fruit, and your leaf will not wither. If you want to have a stable Christian life, be someone who is faithful in God's Word. And then the fourth thing it'll do is it'll make you prosperous. Why read the Bible? So that you'll be prosperous. Look at the end of verse 3. Whatever he does, he is the one who's invested in God's word. Whatever he does prospers. Now, prosperity here is not financial prosperity. Uh, at least it's not uh, primarily financial prosperity. Uh, but it's, it's being prosperous in the most important areas of life. What if your marriage were prosperous? I mean, what if people looked at your marriage and they said, wow, you have a rich marriage. You have a rich relationship with your spouse. What if, what if prosperous for you means that you're prosperous in child rearing? You know, I want my kids to grow up and know the Lord and follow the Lord and have a passion for the Lord. I want to be prosperous in that way. What if prosperous for you is prosperous in your relationships, prosperous in your ministry, you're impacting other people, prosperous in just knowing the fruit of the Spirit, that you're a person filled with love and joy and peace and patience rather than a person filled with strife and, and depression and anxiety and stress. See, see, we will be prosperous if we invest our lives in God's Word. That's why he says here at the end of verse 3, whatever that person does will prosper. Now, how does meditating on God's word make us prosperous? Let's, let's don't just accept this. Let's get to the nitty gritty. If, if I spend time every day meditating, mulling over uh, God's word, pondering God's word, how is that going to make me prosperous? Well, let me give you some ways. First of all, it will help you recognize evil quickly. Uh, when we get in trouble in life, it's usually because we're too late to recognize the evil and the temptation and the sin that's coming our way. And we find ourselves in a tough situation. Had we seen it coming, we wouldn't have ended up there. And I believe when you're in God's Word, you will be more sensitive to those things. You will recognize danger. You will recognize evil long before somebody who is not saturated in God's Word will recognize evil. A second way it helps us to prosper is it corrects our cloudy perspectives. Uh, our perspectives, our understanding of things can be so messed up by sin. And, and, and how you view things and, and the way you think things ought to work and the way you think things are going and the decisions you think you ought to make, that whole perspective gets messed up by sin. And what we think about a lot of things is just wrong. But if we will spend time in God's Word, it will correct our perspective and it'll give clarity to how we understand the world around us. The third way that it helps us to prosper is it creates an environment where we can be influenced by God's wisdom. Now, this is the opposite of what you see in verse 1. In verse 1, he says, if you 
are influenced primarily by the world, it's going to mess you up. But if you put yourself in a situation because you're reading God's word every day where you're influenced primarily by what God has to say, it's going to put you in a place where you can receive and know the wisdom of God, the direction, the uh, the, the information of, for how to live and how to live effectively and wisely and in a God-honoring way, that comes from, from spending time in God's Word. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, just a very simple expression, says, if you will draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. And so if, if I will draw near to God, then God will be near to me. I need God near me. I need him giving me counsel and direction saying, go that way and don't go that way and trust that person and don't trust that person and, and make this decision this way and not another way. And the Bible says the way I have God near me is I seek to draw near to God. And the best way I know to draw near to God is to read my Bible. And so I read and I meditate and I contemplate God's word and I make an effort to draw near to God. God draws near to me and God gives me his wisdom. I don't know a lot about flying. I know we have a number of pilots in the church. Uh, but one of, the, one of the flight instruments that every plane uh, would have is an attitude indicator, if I'm using the right word for that. Uh, and, and what it does is it, is it tells the pilot whether he's going up or down uh, left or right. And so it's, it's got a little image of, a, uh, of an airplane there and, and you can see the horizon and you can tell whether you're going up or down, left, left or right. If you're, if you're tilting one direction or the other, you're going down or up. And, and you know, when you think about that, you think, well, why would you need that? Because you can sort of tell, right? I mean, you can feel whether you're going up or down or left or right. You, you, know, you just feel which way gravity is pulling you. But the problem is, and this is something that every pilot understands, is that uh, they can experience spatial disorientation. And when, uh, not so much airlines, but when small planes crash, oftentimes it's because the pilot just got really confused about where is the horizon. And, you know, I don't understand all of this, but they, your body can send you signals that can just be wrong. And you could think you're going up when in fact you're going down and you can crash into the water, into the land and die because you're confused. And so I was reading this week the FAA guidelines, and this is right off their website, uh, for, uh, for people who are experiencing, pilots who are experiencing this spatial disorientation. Listen to what it says. If you experience a visual illusion during flight, and most pilots do at one time or another, so you know, you're confused about whether you're going up or down, left or right, here's what you should do. Have confidence in your instruments and ignore all conflicting signals your body gives you. Accidents happen as a result of a pilot's indecision to rely on the instruments. And so what FAA says to do, if you get confused about up or down, left or right, flying an airplane, is you need to look at the instrument. And you don't need to trust what your body says you ought to do. You need to trust what that instrument says. Now, in order for a pilot to do that, he or she has to know what they're doing, right? There's a lot of experience and a lot of training and, and, and a lot of studying, and they understand those instruments uh, with, in great detail. And it's only because of that training that they're able to ignore what their body says and do what that instrument says. It's only because of the time that they've spent flying and, and preparing. Well, for us, sometimes our body says one thing, 
we need to be careful that we follow the instrument panel, that we follow what God's word says. And this is the key to being prosperous, the key to having a prosperous marriage, the key to having, being prosperous in child rearing is we've got to be so saturated in God's word that when our gut says one thing, when temptation pulls us one way, when our minds are confused about things in one area, that we know enough and we have enough clarity to follow the instrument panel to do what God's word says to do. But the only way that's going to happen is if you have a history of being faithful in God's word. Very quickly, some other ways that it gives us prosperity. It helps us balance our priorities. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So when you're trying to decide what's important... And what's not important, where you should spend your money, where you should spend your time. When you're trying to make those priority decisions, what Hebrews 4.12 says is that it is only through God's word that we will have the discernment to determine what really is most important. Uh, the next reason why it makes us prosperous is it gives us strength for obedience. Uh, oftentimes, I, I know what I ought to do. I just don't have the strength to do it. You know what I'm, you ever get in that situation where you're tempted and, I mean, you know it's temptation and you know it's sin and you just don't have enough strength to do the right thing instead of being pulled away by the temptation. Well, listen to this. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. So God's word must not depart from your mouth. It ought to be a part, we're talking about reading our Bible every day. You are to meditate on it day and night. So he says, don't let it depart from you. Meditate on it day and night so that, so this is what Joshua 1.8 says, meditate on God's word so that something will happen. What will happen? So that you may observe everything written in it. What he says is there, there is a power in God's word when we know, when we're saturated in God's word, it will give us more strength to follow the Lord's commands and have strength for obedience. And then finally, how does it make us prosperous? It facilitates our abiding in Christ. Uh, it all comes down to who we are in Christ. I am a child of God. Uh, I, when, when difficult times come, uh, when, when I feel the, the sting of sin and defeat, when I am discouraged, I must remember who I am in Christ. The Bible says, Jesus said in John chapter 15, that if I will abide in him and his word abides in me, then I will know the joy that only comes from the Lord. We, we read our Bibles every day in order to have greater understanding of who we are in Christ so that we will have a greater experience of the joy of Christ that comes through him. So here's what we want to do as a church over the next 20 weeks. I want to challenge you. Let's read the Bible together. Uh, so we're going to do it in 100 days. That's five days a week over 20 days, over 20 weeks. So that gives you Saturday and Sunday off. So if you skip a day, you can catch up on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, the Bible plan we have is uh, one we found. It's a very good Bible plan. It doesn't cover the entire Bible in 100 days. That would be a lot of reading. That would be a good thing to do, but that's more than we're asking. Uh, but it covers the highlights of the Bible. 
So you'll go from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of Revelation chapter 21. In 100 days, you'll hit all of the high points. It's going to take you about 10 or 15 minutes a day. And so we're asking that everybody do this together. So let me, let me just talk through the details. How do you sign up? Go to the website you see on the screen. If you've already filled out a sign-up card, we've got you. But we would like to know if you're doing this with us, we're going to send you some information through these 20 weeks that, are, that will be helpful to you. So go to that website, fbcnac.org slash 100 days, and there's a place there you can sign up. Some people have signed up on Facebook. Thank you for doing that. That's a good way for us to spread the news. But we still want you to sign up on the website. So take a few minutes and do that. You can do it. This is one-time permission and grace from the Lord. You can even do it right now while I'm preaching. You can pull out your phone and do that. Uh, not ever again, but right now uh, the Lord uh, will give us some grace. Um, so where do you find the reading plan? Well, it is on Facebook. There's a whole um, site on Facebook that you can get to pretty easily that has all of that. But it's also on that same web page that you see there. We passed them out uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have them again over the next few weeks. Uh, but you can just go to that website and it's all there. Uh, you might just take a picture of it and put it on your telephone. Uh, in fact, um, I've got notifications now, but uh, I just have it on my home screen or my lock screen if you know how to do that. Uh, but, but make sure you get that, and if you have trouble getting a reading plan, maybe you're not a computer person, uh, then there are probably some in the back on the, uh, on the welcome desk. Well, what if you're already reading the Bible? Several people have said this, and that encourages me, and I know that many of you, you've been faithfully reading the Bible for years. Here's what I would encourage you to do. For the next 20 weeks, just add this to it. Don't stop doing what you're doing, but don't not do this. We want to do this as a family. I want us to all be on the same page for the next 20 weeks. So maybe you do your stuff in the morning and you do this in the evening or vice versa. I want to encourage everybody in the church to do this, even if they're doing their own plan. Uh, now, how can I use this to encourage or inspire my family or friends? Now, everybody today and tomorrow are going to be thinking about how to, what New Year's resolutions they're going, to, they're going to embrace. Would you invite somebody to do these 100 days with you. Uh, I can go through and see how some people have used our Facebook tool uh, to do this. And so if you use the Facebook tool, it gives me a little indication that you have. And it's amazing how many of you have invited many of your friends and they have responded. But what's amazing then is to see then that some of your friends that we don't know and are not connected to our church, and many of them don't live in Nacogdoches, have turned around and used the same tool to invite their friends, and those people have used the tool to invite their friends. And if this thing is just spreading. What? To the glory to God, right? So invite some people. Go to call up your family members and say, hey, would you do this 100-day thing with me? I just think it would be an encouragement for both of us. And whether you use the Facebook tool or not, we don't care about that. Invite somebody. Challenge somebody to do this with you. Now, what kind of information are you going to receive? Uh, you'll get some occasional emails from us just updating you on the reading plan and giving you some encouragement. On the Facebook page, and just go to our church's Facebook page, and you'll see it there, 100 Days. It's a separate page, but it's linked there. Um, we're going to have discussions. So every morning, we'll put something up there about the reading that you did that morning, and you can participate in the discussion if you're interested in that. And then every week, I'm going to preach on what we read the, the previous week. So tomorrow, 
uh, is when we're going to start, and it's, you start in Genesis 1-1. That won't surprise anybody. And over the next week, you're going to read the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. Next Sunday, Lord willing, I'm going to preach on a passage in the part that you read. In fact, the passage I'm going to preach on next week is from Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to talk about the character of God. But our message each week will be on what you read the previous week, and so we'll all be together on the same page. What if you get behind? This is the important thing, because here's why New Year's resolutions fail. If you get behind, don't catch up. Just start where you ought to be. Because here's what will happen. You'll get one day behind, and then two days behind, and then the third day you'll, you'll think, well, I'm going to catch up, but now i got three days to read. That's too much to read, and so uh, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And you're just going to let that build up and build up and build up until you won't ever catch up. So if you miss two or three days, just pick up where you're supposed to be. Don't worry about the stuff you missed. You can go back and get that at a later time. Uh, but don't let these days back up. Uh, what if you want more? What if you want more? What we're asking you to read is not a lot of verses. Some people are going to want to read more verses. Uh, so I would encourage you, read the assigned reading. And I'm going to try to read through the book of Psalms during this same 100 days and really meditate my way through the book of Psalms. And so pick another part of the Bible, do our assigned reading, and then do some other part of the Bible. Uh, but make this, uh, make this fit uh, the time and the commitment that you have. So here's what I want us to do. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I know I'm out of time this morning. Our hope, our, our goal here is not necessarily get people to sign up for a program. Our goal is that we would see lives changed because of a faithfulness to read, study, and meditate on God's Word. Would you make this commitment to the Lord that 2019, for me, is going to be the year of the Bible? 2019, wherever you are, there's some of you, you're early in this, some of you have you have been faithful to read God's Word for years, for decades. But all of us could say, for me, 2019 is going to be the year of the Bible. And I want to, I want to draw near to God like I have never done so before. Father, the power of God's Word in our lives is immeasurable. The power to make us uh, like a strong tree. Uh, that bears fruit in the lives of those around us, that, that has leaves that do not wither, and I don't have down times in my spiritual life. The power of God's Word to make me prosperous in my family, my marriage, my ministry. Father, thank you for God's Word. And help me to embrace Christ by embracing God's Word in 2019. Let this be for me the year of the Bible in my life. And Father, we pray this and ask for your guidance and your strength. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm -hmm.